today, today's less of a preach and actually more of a testimony. But I'm going to weave a preach into it. Um, and, and you'll understand as, as I unpack this. And if I, was, if I was to give this a title, I'd call it Breaking Strangleholds. Okay. We've become a generation of instant gratification, haven't we? We text someone, they don't answer in 10 or 20 minutes. We want to send them a question mark. It's taking you so long. When we order something online, what do you mean I must wait till tomorrow? I go into a shop, I buy something, and I've got it. I go into a shop and I buy chocolate. I don't put it in my cubbyhole and wait a week. I eat it before I've even got to the car. Am I right? So we, we've become a, a generation of instant, I want an answer now, I want, serve me now, fix me now, do, do it now. I've, I've, I've heard in church sometimes someone standing up to testify how they prayed for someone for 30 years or 40 years. Okay, now for most of you, you're not 30 or 40, so it doesn't affect you. But I have heard people stand up and testify to that. And I think to myself, 30 years. Wow. If I pray for you for 30 days. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little extreme here, but, you know, after 20 years, you kind of give up, don't you? It's like, well, there's no hope, so let me find someone where the, you know what I'm saying. Why? Because we want an answer now. We want something to happen now. And I think through that, the value of being patient has been eroded in our lives. In Psalm 103, the Bible describes God like this, and it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And that's the NIV version. In fact, the King James Version the word love at the end is actually mercy. And I don't know that you can replace one word with the other because mercy is something you show someone when they don't deserve it. But love is a lot more accommodating. But that phrase in the middle there that says, he is slow to anger. It's an attribute of who he is. And if he wasn't slow to anger, I think there'd be lightning strikes all around us every day, don't you? Oh, oh, there goes John. Must have thought something again. Whoa, there goes Mary. Told her she needs to forgive, you know, because God would just be striking us left, right, and center, meeting out a punishment actually that we deserve. But he's not. He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. So he extends the boundaries of who he is for our benefit. Whether we deserve it or not is another question. But that's the nature of God. Now, let's be clear. God can do anything in an instant. When He created the heavens and the earth, He didn't sit down and go, um, now, let me see, how am I going to work out genetics? Um, and uh, shall I make gravity 8 or 9? No, let me make it 9.8 because that's going to work because when they go to the moon, then they won't, you know, and I'll have it 5. And He, he, just, he just spoke. Life into being, all in an instant. So he's quite capable to do things in an instant. 
But because he's slow, he doesn't always respond to us in an instant. He doesn't always reveal to us immediately what his plan is, what he's thinking, what he's seeing. But we stand expectant for that, don't we? God is sovereign, and he sees the intricacies and the complexities of life in a much broader sense, in a much bigger detail than we do. And we only see limited, so we're impatient. We want him to serve us. And so sometimes I think we make the mistake of that when we don't hear from him, or we write him off, he's too busy. Let me get on with what I need to get on with. And it feels like he's constantly absent sometimes. The truth is he's not. We need to remember this virtue of patience. Psalm 27, the writer says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37 says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. Isaiah 40, he writes, But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on, the wing, on wings like eagles, with, in, with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Moses, there's a bit of debate about how old he was when he ran away from Egypt. Remember, he grew up in an Egyptian household, and then he killed an Egyptian, and then he ran away. Some writers say he was 25. The book of Acts says he was actually about 40. He ran away. 40 years old. Wow. I remember as a kid, pondering the age of 40 or 50, looking at my parents when they celebrated those birthdays, and they're like, you so has been. Whatever. Look, I was born in the 60s. So I figured if I make it to the year 2000, I'll be 33. My life will be done. Okay? Because 40 years is a long time. Then Moses was another 40 years in Midian. And then God called him back to Egypt to drag the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert. He was 80 when he did that. And then he died at the age of 120 with the rest of that generation that didn't go into the promised land. Okay, we don't, not many of us live to 120 today, that's for sure. But still, what is 40 years actually if God's preparing you for something? Well, I think what we do is we relegate God to the slow corner because he doesn't respond quickly enough. Because we've got places to go and things to do. And in that, we do an injustice to ourselves. So I want to share a testimony today that has this label. 49 years. Wow. 49 years. But I want to be absolutely clear. It's not the first time that things have happened in my life, but it's certainly a very profound one. And as I share this with you, I'm asking you, please, don't look at me and listen like it's a story. It's not a story. 
This is not about a spotlight on me. I'm sharing you something with you that God has done in me. But I'm asking you, listen to what I'm saying. And maybe God is speaking to you today about something in your life. And that He can do a miracle in your life. Because He's just done a miracle in mine. Amen? So stick with me here, please. So I want to lay a bit of a foundation. And it starts with this, and it's the, it's the, um, it's the beauty of Scripture. And I've often said this, and you, I've heard it even repeated, so I'm going, oh, somebody's paying attention. There's a tension in Scripture, isn't there? There's the good and the bad. There's the love of God and the wrath of God. There's the mercy of God and the judgment of God and so forth. So I love that. The Bible defends itself. It doesn't need us to defend it. The power of the word is there. But we need to keep it in tension all the time. And so Jesus is speaking in John 10 verse 10. And in the same sentence, it's not even, it's not even separated into two different scriptures or two different verses. It's the same verse. He says this, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. There is a strict tension in one verse, in this verse. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I came to give you life. It's not a once-off. The devil doesn't come once-off. Every breath you breathe is prowling around. Waiting to steal, kill, and destroy. To rob you of something. To cause you to stumble. To cause you to lose your way. To cause you to get anxious with God because He's not listening. Because He's not answering your prayer. Because He seems to be distant. He seems to have lost interest in your circumstances. Or lost interest in you. Jesus says the devil is prowling around like a lion. He's always prowling around to catch you. To trip you up. Enemy will not give up on that. But Jesus came to give us hope. And I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. We must never read Scripture and move on. We need to own Scripture. It needs to permeate us. We need to be able to remember, oh, but Jesus said, but He said. And I, you need to. And so this irritating thing that they say, you want to know what they have, memory verses. Oh. I can't even remember what happened last week, and I must remember a verse. Yes, because there's power and authority in remembering verse, in being able to quote Scripture as an authority. And I'm going to go to Hebrews 6. And the writer's writing this, and he says this. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you should be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth, the basic truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk again, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So what's he saying? He's saying, well, if you're an infant... Like babies are, they need milk. You don't feed your babies a rump steak or a 
sausage or a, ma a, a potato because they can't eat it. But here's the thing. When we grow up as adults, we don't stop drinking milk. We have it in our coffee. Uh, well, not if you do do. Sorry. Sorry, do do. Okay, don't have it in your coffee. Cereal. We bake with milk. It's part of our lives. So the point is, is that we don't now not have milk as part of our lives. But we want to move on to the greater things of God. Remembering the things we started with. Does that make sense? Okay. So. So coming back to John 10.10 10, about the devil prowling around. He will not give up. But I think something that he does very well is this. He strangles us. You know, you can strangle someone to death, or you can strangle someone that they just get knocked out, become incapacitated. Okay? Cut off the airflow enough, and you pass out. But you're not dead, but you're unconscious. And I think that's something that the devil does to us, and we don't see it. Because that's what he did to me. And he strangles us in a way that he attaches a chain or we allow him to attach something to us. You know, we sing songs, break every chain. What are we talking about? We're talking about something that has grabbed, that's been attached to us. Do you know why they put chains around prisoners' legs? Have you ever tried to run with a chain? You ain't, you ain't getting away. Even if you only have one chain on one leg, not two, just one, try running with that. And slow you down, it's going to hurt you and it's going to trip you up. You know, when, you, when, a, when, a, when a boat is tethered to an anchor in the ocean, you know, the anchor doesn't hold the boat in place. Because the anchor is attached to a long chain. And then the chain on a small boat is attached to a rope. And when the boat rises and falls in the water, it pulls on the chain. All the anchor does is hold the end of the chain in the sand. But it's the chain that holds the boat in place. It strangles the movement of that boat. If you've seen those big ships, you know how big those chain links are? They're this big. It's the weight of the chain. And the devil will come along to get you to allow a chain to be attached to you so that you get slowed down. So, two weeks ago, we went to a thing called self-care. Another two-week course. I haven't done that one, but I've done a few in the last 17 years. <sighs> sure. Lucky it's on a Wednesday night, not another night. Isn't that the attitude sometimes we have? Oh, make me feel so guilty when I don't go. Oh, really? Okay, I'll go. That was my attitude. I'm sorry, Lord. And of course, there were many things said at this course. Because it was led by Liz and Andrew East. She's a psychologist. Takes a degree to understand psychology. So when you share a whole lot of things in two weeks, you can be sure. You're sitting there going, I have no idea. Or you read and you go, oh my hat, give me a year to first understand that so I can apply it. It's like that was the kind of richness that came across. Okay? But... Um, 
nevertheless, something triggered on that first night. And um, I want to start quickly with a slide. One of the slides that she showed, and I've plagiarized it a little bit. Can you put that picture up? No, it's not that one. That's the one. And um, her slide at the bottom didn't have vow or lie. It just had idol. Okay? And I'm not going to go into too much technical detail of that, but it's quite simple. The bottom line is a root. It's a cause. And the top line is behavior. And they linked. So when you look at your behavior in certain circumstances, you want to work through the layers to find out what is the root cause. Now, I added those two words, vow and lie, and I'll tell you why just now. But I just want you to keep that in mind. There's an idol or a vow and lie at the bottom, and there's a behavior that results in a behavior at the top. And um, so quite simply, the root produces fruit. Right. Now, the reason why I added the two words, in fact, idol, idol conjures up a, a, a picture of an image of something, a statue. For some people, it's a frog, or a Buddha, or you know, religious statue that's you know candles and so forth around it and what have you. Something and and God said in the first commandment, you'll have no other idols except you know nothing before me. So, so it's something we can see, or it's something that we make, or something that we put before us. But I added vow and lie because we don't worship vows and lies, do we? But they chain us. So they do the same thing, whether it's an idol, which is a statue, or work, or money, or success, or it's a vow that you make, like you'll find out how I did, or it's a lie that you've come to believe, and it causes a certain behavior. Thank you, Mike. And so um, Wednesday night was great and interesting until I got in the car, and then this plague started in my mind. And it's simply this. I needed to understand. I, I couldn't understand these two extremes of how I exist, how my be behavior is. And on the one hand, it's like, what time do we meet for coffee in the mornings, Yuri? Six o'clock, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I'm happy to go and meet him in Pinelands, six o'clock in the morning. Sometimes... Mike can only meet on a Saturday. I'll meet him on a Saturday. I, sh I should be taking a day's rest, but if he's only available then, I'll go meet him there. If you've got to move house, I'll come and help you move house. If you need a hand or a help or a whatever, I'll meet you where you're at. Not because I'm trying to be a hero, but because Jesus died for people. And if I can do something small like that for someone, I'll do it. Willingly. I don't do it out of compulsion. I do it because I choose to, right? So that's the one extreme. But then there's this other extreme that exists in Tony. Do not take advantage of me. I rise up against injustice. You know, Bruce Banner goes green and becomes the Hulk. I just go red. But not one-on-one, -on -one, in a very angry way. So I'm driving home on Wednesday night and I'm thinking, I don't understand, Lord. Why am I so willing, on one hand, to give and lay down and help, and then on the other hand, 
I'll respond. If someone around me is being treated unjustly, man, I'll go to their defense in the most vehement way that I can. If, uh, and I'm sure you can all relate to this. You've had to argue with the bank or you've had to argue with a cell phone company or you've had to argue with the city of Cape Town or s- something like that comes up and you find you're responding like I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm getting cross. I, I did get cross. got very cross. I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't understand. Why, why these two extremes? Woke up Thursday morning real early, real early, and I'm praying. And I end up, our bathroom is at the far end of the house, and there's a chair. I end up in the chair weeping, weeping. All Thursday morning, Lord, I don't understand. And then he starts to show me. Starts to link certain things that have happened in my life. Things that I'm well aware of. These weren't new revelations. These are things. But I didn't see the connection for 49 years. Started when I was six, and we were living in Vintuk. And um, my father was the breadwinner, and I've forgiven him long time ago for this. But I remember the occasion so clearly. I was six years old, and my mother got an allowance every month, and she had to fru- use it frugally to support the house, you know, food and stuff we needed. And I'd obviously just started at school and I needed a pair of soccer boots. They were like 10 rand. And my mother asked my father at the dinner table. And my father lost it with her. Just didn't get physical, but he just lost it. How can you ask that? We don't have money yet. I was six and I remember sitting there watching this play out. And I made a vow. I'll never put my mother in that position again. What did I know? Six. Never wanted to get shouted at again like that. Protect her in any way that I can. I'll do without, but I will not put her in that predicament. I grew up in a home where kids were seen and not heard. I don't think anyone today knows much about that. We would go to friends and my father, you could greet people we went to and then you, if I heard you speak, you got a hiding when we got home. Very strict. And I don't hold it against my father, but that's how he was brought up. He put that on me. I remember in primary school, uh, standing in a queue one day in a line, and I'll never forget a girl said to me, Oh, you, Tony, you always want everybody to feel sorry for you. What? High school. My parents sent me to the best school on the East Rand. It was called CBC Boxburg. Boxburg, but anyway, because they wanted me to go to a good academic school. I hated it because it was a wealthy kid's school and everybody else had money. And I couldn't ask for anything because I put myself in a corner. And I remember one Saturday later on high school, my father came to a rugby game and, he, and all the kids had tog bags, CBC tog bags. I didn't have one because they were 250 bucks. He's like, whoa, look at these talk bags. Why don't you have one? I'm like, well, my rugby jersey only comes down to here. And I need some new books and I need some better. I don't want to ask you for a talk bag. I don't want to ask you for anything because the last time I was living in a lie. I'd been bound by something I'd committed to, but I didn't see it. Went to the army, the most injustice environment in the world because rank is everything. If you have rank in the army, you can tell anybody to do anything who's lower rank than you and they 
cannot argue. They cannot fight back. And I got the highest rank possible after officer's course that year. Full lieutenant. They gave me the best posting that I could get for my second year. And I think I've shared this before. The troop said to me, I had a secretary. It was a guy, Lance Corporal. And he said to me after a month, he said, is there anybody in this unit, lieutenant, that you haven't fought with? What? And he was right. I had fought with everybody. You see, what had become a thing for me now was that where there was injustice or unfairness, I had a voice. But I'd allow the devil to steal my voice when I was six because I grew up without a voice because I couldn't speak out. But now in the army, I had rank. And I remember responding so badly to people, but I didn't know why. When we met, Lindsay and I, people laughed. Why aren't you getting married? I said, you don't understand. I don't even know how to take care of myself because now I'm starting to become aware of myself. In the army, I was 23. It was 30 when, around about 30 when we met. I started to realize, what kind of a person are you? And I wasn't an angry person, but I responded in anger. And um, even on eldership, no disrespect, there were very strong voices on eldership in Sunningdale for 10 years. Very strong voices. I kept quiet. In fact, in some elders' meetings, I'd say something and it would be like, Oh, is that you? What, sorry, what did you say? That's how it felt. That's how it felt. Because I was living in this lie. I was living in this entanglement. And um, God, on Thursday morning, started to link these things together. And it just so happened I had a coffee date with uh, Andrew East. And I went and I sat in front of him and I said, Andrew, what does this mean? And he said, well... What was the lie? I told Tony, you don't have a voice. I believed it. It became the way you lived your life. But you do have a voice. When I shared with Lindsay later that evening, she said to me, isn't it strange that God gave you a congregation to give you a voice? And I haven't had to lord it over you guys. I don't think so. I've asked the leaders over and over again, am I a dictator? I don't think so. I haven't been overbearing. I'll preach the gospel. I'll preach the word. But I won't force anything on anybody. And it's like God has tempered me this year. And then at the end of it, he says, right, now I'm ready to show you the mess that you've left behind. I would say to you tonight, have you opened a doorway? Maybe you don't have an idol, but you've made a vow. Or you've embraced a lie somewhere in your life. I want to say to you today, if, if that's occurring to you now, pray with you. And maybe you leave here and God starts to highlight something in your life that has become a chain. You look at your behavior and you go, it's just not godly. It's just not God-pleasing. I really want to challenge you tonight. Don't let this go by. Am I now perfect? No. But I have had 
three occasions in the last week where I should have lost it against injustice. And the one, I didn't quite lose it, but I was close. And the other two I never did. So am I through this? No. But I understand, and I see so clearly now, where I, as a six-year-old, allowed a lie to become my way of life. I allowed this belief that I didn't count, that I didn't matter, that I can't stand up for myself, that I can't speak out. And I had to use every little injustice along the way to be a voice. When somebody did something wrong, let me be clear, I would use the injustice. Now I've got something to speak about, to shout about, to make a point about. And that's not what God intends for us. He intends for us to live life and live it abundantly. I do, I do want to ask, I don't want to let the moment go. Just y'all bow your heads. I want to ask you tonight, what lie, what lie have you embraced like I did? What vow or promise have you made as a result of being hurt or traumatized? Something happened in your life that you don't want to confront because it's too difficult. But you know that it's causing you to act or respond in a way that's not God-pleasing. We're not here to make spectacles of ourselves. But there is something gallant about stepping forward, about saying, yes, Lord, I've believed a lie. Or even, Lord, my behavior is not of you. It's not from you. When I behave like that or when I respond like that, I know that it's not pleasing to you. Show me the lie. Show me the, the root cause. 